Welcome to the Restart Radio Show, a very different show about gadgets on Resonance 104.4 FM. This is a different show because unlike most, we're not going to focus on all those new shiny, shiny things to buy. Instead, we focus on the value in the stuff we already have. The Restart Project aims for a shift of behavior towards a more sustainable and a happier relationship with electronics. And our monthly community electronics repair events here in London called Restart Parties are just the beginning. My name is Janet Gunter. I'm co-founder of the Restart Project, along with Ugo Valauri, who's joining me today. Hello. And we're really happy to have on the line um, Estefan Sukilanda, a uh, technology support specialist at a school in New York. Um, hello, Estef. Are you there? Hi, I'm here. Good okay. morning. Okay. <laughs> Good morning to Good you. Good afternoon. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Estef is um, joining us because she uh, works as a tech support specialist in a school. Um, and she's done something quite special. There's a couple of schools in New York that are experimenting with bringing repair to their students. Um, Steph, can you tell us a little bit about what you've been doing with some of your uh, girl students at the Hewitt School in New York? Yeah, of course. So the Hewitt School is a kindergarten through 12th grade independent school. And I started here in September of last year. And ever since then... I've just had this motivation to guide them in in repair. And so some of the things that we have been doing is the first grade class was really interested in keyboards that I had on my desk because I repair a lot of Chromebooks. And so um, we thought of this idea of taking the keys apart and repurposing them and giving them a new life and turning them into bracelets. So for Valentine's Day, we decided that we were going to gift the entire first grade class bracelets with their initials. That's really cool. And they had a really fun time making that and gifting them to the to their friends. Yeah, it seems like keyboards in schools get a fair bit of, uh, shall we say, use, <laughs> sometimes abuse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, they come. And um, so... Very... Mm-hmm. It seems that you've been uh, working with the students in other potentially more complicated repairs than just replacing keyboards or with keyboards. So can you tell us how it's kind of developed? Yeah. Last year in November, we started the Restart at Hewitt. And we started small with a bunch of freshmen and seniors. In, uh, uh, for this audience, can you tell us uh, what great, so the, what age groups that is? <laughs> That's, um, I think it's 15. Okay. 15 and, you know, 16, 17. Mm-hmm. So we've been doing repairs on, we replaced batteries on iPhone 6s and 7s. We replaced the hard drive on MacBook Pros. We are currently scheduled to work on an Apple Watch repair on Friday. Oh, wow. wow. We're going to time-lapse. Yeah, we're going to time-lapse we're taking three hours out of the schedule before we go on break to to work on it. So yeah. we're, they're really excited about that. That does sound cool. And can you explain how it, yeah, like it's how it fits into the school schedule. So it's seemingly, is this an after school activity for the girls or? Yeah, it is an after school. Okay. They, okay. they have free time right after school and we meet from 3 p.m. to 4 uh, every Monday. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. I find it's hard to get a lot done in an hour, even when you're not working with kids. So how does that work for you? We take it 
at the beginning, it was really slow because we were just getting into it. But I was very impressed last week we replaced the screen in an iPhone 7 Plus in about 45 minutes. Wow. It was wow. really cool to see how they've, they've learned so quickly and they're just becoming faster and so precise with their work. That's better than some of the stores yeah. that do this yeah, right? for a living. <laughs> Um, which yeah. which actually brings us to our next question. So, Steph, your background is not so much in education. Can can you tell us what you were doing before you joined the Hewitt School? For yeah, for five six years now, I worked with just repairing Apple products, anything from an iPod Touch. I started learning on the 3G um, to iMac, literally anything. So I did that, and I also uh, worked one on one with people to teach them how to um, learn and to use their computers. So okay. it was kind of teaching, but not really students or in a class or in like a small group. Uh, and, wh- and where was that? One. So like what was the context? So you were working in a small company, is that? Yeah, it was a, it was a small like, like tech startup shop, and it was just focusing on repair. Okay. So the founders of the shop actually used to work for Apple, and they decided that they didn't like some of the things that Apple would allow them to do or wouldn't allow them to do, so they decided that they wanted to do what Apple wouldn't let them do and provide that service for people. That's really interesting. Um, well, we're going to get to a conversation a little bit later about about Apple and uh, its claims. Um, uh, as you can imagine, it's a common topic here. <laughs> but I wanted to I wanted mm-hmm. to ask you a little bit more about um, what it was like being a female repair tech um, because I recently. Uh, uh, we recently published a photo essay. We've done some work with commercial repair businesses to understand them better and meet meet them and understand what their challenges are. But one of the things that struck me with this, particularly with this photo essay that we published, was that of the 10 businesses we interviewed, there was not one image of a woman tech. And it really mm-hmm. struck home for me. So it would be just interesting to hear your experiences um, working in that space. I've had pleasant and unpleasant experiences. But my my coworkers and my previous boss were really supportive of me. They were, you know, they they put me in front to be confident and say, yes, I'm a woman, and yes, I can take apart your phone, and, and I know these things. So um, I did have some challenges when, you know, a customer would come in and they would ask for the technician even though the technician's right there, so I would have to say, yes, I can help you. So it was challenging at first, and it's still challenging now because you don't, I don't see many women that repair. And I fix it. I love it that they, the women that, you know, do the guide are women. Um, but it was, it was challenging, and it is still challenging, and that is what motivates me to keep going with these girls because... They, not only can they apply what they learn taking apart and putting back together these phones, but they can apply that into their whole lives. This doesn't have to be in one place. It can be in many different areas of their life. Yeah, I mean, this is one of the reasons that, um, so in our work in London, we we have women's skill shares um, or special events for women and non-binary people so that they can just gain confidence. And um, But part of our idea is very much that people uh, can gain confidence in kind of an alternative space, but we really like them to 
go into the public space and to be repairing publicly at our events. Um, because in a sense, if girls just see um, men repairing everywhere, repairing um, electronics, it, it does send a very strong message. Um, and it's really, I'm, I'm, I'm also impressed that your school has, um, has given you this extra space to do this. Um, and I'm assuming you have some support from, you know, from your managers and administrators on this one, I hope. Yes, they're they're very supportive. They're really happy. They empower me. They give me space. They are on board. The principal here, the the head of school, she is really happy. We made her a bracelet as well. <laughs> so she was really really happy that you know first graders are into this. That it could be applied to seniors or middle school. Whoever is interested can learn this and gain the confidence to do it. Yeah, and I'm I'm wondering, have you included parents in any way? Because I think oftentimes parents, it's not that they're meaning to send these signals or that they, that they mean to have any kind of biases, but they kind of also unconsciously potentially send certain signals to girls. So I was wondering if the if the parents have kind of been involved or benefited from some of the work that, that your students have been doing. The parents are really curious because the girls come home and they show them the bracelets. When they gifted the bracelets, to their classmates, the parents were here. And so the teacher sort of said, this is Steph. She has been working with her first graders, taking stuff apart, using old broken tech and repurposing it. And they're like, oh, this is really interesting. They're like, they're curious and interested. And an email was sent out of gathering broken gadgets and parents have been really supportive and they're interested in the work that's being done. Because I don't think they've heard of, of that. In such a, in like a school aspect, an environment. It's interesting what you say because when I first saw the picture of the bracelet that I think you shared on social media, I was like, well, what's yeah. what's the point? It shouldn't be more about actually repairing things, but actually, the bracelet tells the story, and so it kind of reaches out to other people that didn't get involved in taking things apart. So it can be a powerful part of the the project in kind of reaching out to more people. Hmm. Yeah, the bracelets were, people are still wanting or they want to understand more and actually have a bracelet too. Nice. But what's really interesting is that the, the girls also understand and they're really curious because they understand how this is a keyboard. I don't understand. How is this a keyboard? How can we take these things apart and then use them for something else? Their mind, they're just, they're challenged and they're actually thinking that, yes, it can be used and it can. We haven't gotten to the fixing part yet of something that's broken or extending its life, but we're giving it a new life. That's the way I like to think about it. Nice. Yeah, and what are your plans um, for, for future activities? So you've um, you've worked um, most, or mostly with uh, the, the secondary school group, and then you've started to interest these younger girls in uh and how they can use things for longer. Um, but what are your plans for, for future activities? For the fall, there's a clubhouse here in the lower school, K through fourth grade, and then there's a clubhouse also from fifth to twelve. And in the fall, uh, I'll be leading a, like a clubhouse group, and we're going to repair repair broken things or give it a new life, like repurpose it. And 
my idea is to come in not as a person that's going to tell them how it's going to be, but have consensus and have both of us come up with ideas of how we're going to use broken tech and what kind of life we're going to give it. So they're going to have their ideas. I'm going to have some ideas. We're going to propose on the table. We're going to talk. And then we're going to work from there, whether it's, you know, creating a, a huge mural. This, uh, this is my idea of a, of a computer, breaking it down and then putting parts from old computers and making this giant computer out of whatever we can imagine. Wow, that's um, really that's really cool. Yeah, that's, a, that's my idea. And, you know, I'm going to share it with them and see what they think. Yeah, I love projects that um, that kind of almost like deconstruct uh, the these sleek sealed black boxes for kids. So even yeah, yeah all the um, work with microcomputers and you know basically remaking the computer and involving children in that—it's really great. Um, well, we wish you the best of luck with that, uh, Steph. And we'll um, we'll definitely uh, be sharing um, what you what you share with us. And um, it's really great to see that you're working with younger and younger students. And that's the real challenge, I think, is to get them while they're still quite young. So, thanks for joining us. And um, yeah, well, we'll share your updates with our audience. Bye bye. Okay. You're listening to Restart Radio, and we just talked with Steph Sukilanda, who's a, t- a tech support specialist at a um, at a school in New York, and she's been working with girls um, on repair. And before that, she was uh, working in a small uh, small repair company. She said set up by some repair techs who were extremely frustrated by Apple's practices, and that's all quite timely because today we decided to talk about our favorite uh, tech company, everyone's favorite tech company to talk about. Um, And they're partly everyone's favorite tech company to talk about because it's seemingly they're always bragging. (laughs) Isn't it true, Hugo? Yeah, they have plenty to say and to be proud of, or so they say. And so we just come across a really interesting ad that they made, like a video, which once again shows how they might they're much better than everyone else at some things and specifically in this case at reducing wastes in the process of making their wonderful or not so wonderful products and yeah so it, it's obvious that they're up to something and they are very ready to always talk about it with yeah. the public so this advert that Ugo's referring to i believe it was like an online it's a very short little advert online um and basically uh you know, in the advert, they they claim in like a little subtitle underneath it that the iPhone is assembled in facilities that send zero waste to landfills. And this is referring actually to their annual supplier responsibility report, which they've just released. And they're making a pretty bold and big claim about zero waste. So just just to start out, Ugo, like you and I know from kind of being involved in like in resource issues and environmental activism that like zero waste is a very emotive and like kind of it's a phrase actually probably I would say owned by activists up until yeah. this moment. Yeah, and uh, so it's very hard to see a company embrace it and try to kind of take ownership of it in a sense, yeah. particularly when we know that the moment you start looking 
at an issue with a bit more detail, zero waste is very aspirational all yeah, the time. Well, and so even for individuals, right? Yeah, so you see people who have me. blogs and like they have Instagrams and that say that they're trying to live a zero waste lifestyle. And of course, like when an individual does that, they're actually held to a huge amount of scrutiny, right? It's like their friends are like, oh, I saw I saw you throw something away the other day. <laughs> you know, what about that thing that's hidden in the back, you know, in, yeah. in your back garden? Um and so when a company does it, I think we definitely need to pay some attention. Um, and what I what I did learn is that a, there are a number of zero waste, in quotes, certifications. So this is a really, like, a, a, a kind of a bugbear topic of mine, but certification. So certifications are designed to help consumers make better choices, in theory. But it really matters who designs them, mm -hmm. who audits them. Um, and, you know, and we have to pay really close attention to certifications. And so there are a number of zero waste certifications um, put forth in both here in the UK, uh, even at a European level, at a global level. Now, um, Apple has has is actually been has actually been using an, an, an available certification um, that's uh, that's done, done by a rather large company. Um, and as far as I can tell, you know, the certification uh, it looks at, it's by Underwriters Laboratories, or UL, which is a quite massive company. Um, Very rigorous company in terms of the testing they do of all kinds of products. Yes. So, the fa um, so to, to, to gain the certification, essentially, 100% um, of waste has to be waste. Now, let's, we can go into what kind of waste, but... Uh, I'm assuming solid waste or potentially liquid waste as well has to be diverted from landfills with a maximum of 10% sent to a waste to energy facility. Waste to energy facility is essentially just incinerator. an incinerator that just, burns the stuff. Just yeah. make it clear. Yeah. And also noting that um, that incineration is an extremely controversial topic within the zero waste activist community. Absolutely. There's two big camps very you know, very much in contraposition right? because of whether incineration technologies have indeed evolved and are now fully um, health uh, compliant so that they don't yeah. harm individuals or, or not, depending on the two camps. There's still quite a lot of controversy yeah. around that very topic, which is not even the key topic of yeah. this piece of news that we're but discussing the, and, now. And then there's just some debate about whether we should be burning anything in the first place, full exactly. stop. Okay. So, but on this certification, um, at least that's been stipulated. Now, the interesting part is that Apple is, Apple is claiming in its assembly facilities, this zero waste, um, this, this reaching of zero waste, which, you know, the, a supply chain is gigantic. So the assembly facility is where all of the components go to get you know, to literally get fitted together by machines or humans, correct? So mm. it, it means that, sure, that part is potentially probably uh, waste-free, uh, uh, but it doesn't say anything about whatever happens before that, yeah. which is the whole supply uh, chain of components, yeah. uh, etc. So, so, I mean, in the assembly facility, I was trying to, I was trying to think like where might be the wasteful moments. Okay, so you probably do some rinsing, some cleaning with certain products. I, know, I definitely know they clean the screens. I do some, um, and there's potentially glue and other things, and um, all kinds of potentially screws and other things that are used. That okay, 
And, so they're not wasting. And they they're say. talking about this uh, film, uh, which is made of PET plastic, and they've now devised in Foxconn, I believe, in China, a, a way to transform that into trays made of recycled materials. And sure, that that is a positive thing. And I'm sure yeah. there's other stories like that. They talk about the amount of water that they are um, recycling. And so it, I'm not no, trying I'm, to say that this is yeah. a negative step. No, and Apple has done some really good work on water, yeah, on reuse of water. But however, if you're to look at the overall um, what we need, what we need, and I'm not even saying that I know the answer, but I'm saying is we need to know what the waste picture is all the way down the, you know, the, the chain, all the way through the life cycle. We need to know what the picture is for waste in mining, in smelting and refining, in the com- manufacture of components, which is, as far as I can tell is where most of the waste water occurs. And, and exactly if... Uh, our listeners uh, heard the show we did a few weeks ago with uh, Professor Josh Leposky that talks about 90 to 98% of all materials that go into one of these products being uh, waste or discards, as it's discussed, as it calls them. It, it goes to show that it's not just what happens inside the manufacturing plant, that uh, the assembly line, but it's a lot more than just that. So we need yeah. to be careful. And I guess... The main problem we have with this is how you take a small portion of the big problem and turn it into a marketing campaign about how clean or relatively clean the whole manufacturing well, of I mean, that product even. is. Well, I mean, I mean, we saw all these headlines saying, you know, the iPhone is zero waste. Yeah, which is complete insane. Like, there, there can't be such a thing. Like, I mean, maybe one day in the future, but at the same time, we were just thinking that uh, the mythical Liam, the robot that Apple came up with in theory years the ago, the recycling robot. robot still doesn't really exist. We haven't seen it. We've seen a slick video years ago. And so they're great at announcing this futuristic visions for a zero waste uh, world. But that doesn't necessarily mean it, well, they're happening. It's, and it's almost like what, what really irritates me is that Apple is doing some work to push the needle like they are. But we don't really know, because they don't give us the big picture, we don't know how fast it's happening, how significant it is. And instead, all we have to go on is this kind of blust, this PR bluster, this PR factory, um, these videos that are like, oh, like I was joking that the, the Liam recycling robot video reminded me of like, you know, those really great Kickstarter videos <laughs> for a thing that doesn't quite exist, but that's like the most compelling video ever. You want to go in and buy that thing immediately. Well, that's what, that's what that yeah. video reminded me of. And, and to tell people that, that, you know, that the iPhone is zero waste, it actually, what it's doing is obscuring all of the work that they are doing. And so even on the issue of, and we're extremely critical of the issue of energy, um, energy and carbon usage in, in manufacturing the supply chain. Well, it turns out when you actually dig into the supplier responsibility report, they are doing some work on that. And they give us some interesting data that we Again, we can't quite make sense of. We don't have the full picture. Um, but it does sound like they're doing work on that, um, potentially even beyond uh, the assembly, uh, their assembly partners. Um, and yet we can't, yeah, it doesn't mean anything because we don't have the full picture. Um, so in, in other words, Apple is, it's possible that Apple is leading compared to all other large players in the electronics ecosystem. But we are 
in no way to be able to say that because of the lack of transparency about what they actually are doing versus what they're well, reporting I'm, I'm, and what other people are doing as well. So it's and they're not doing the work that the epic work that is to map the whole life cycle of the device and all the impacts and to be transparent about that. They That's, might be doing it, but yeah. they certainly not sharing it well, with exactly. the world, which would be actually a really good way to change the system, start yeah. being more open, you know, the way that Fairphone is trying in their own way yeah, as sadly, a much smaller organization. I don't think it's their culture, sadly. So yeah. um, and, and the other the other area where we can massively critique them is on the issue of um, repair. So um, we can they can they can claim to be zero waste. But if they're making it difficult for people to to extend the lives of the devices, then really, um, you know, then then they've lost. Um, and what we saw uh, last week, which was quite interesting, was um, the the right to repair uh, movement that's been spreading across a number of U.S. states has uh, has finally reached California, Calif which is kind of like a cathartic and very like, I, I don't know, maybe I could even say Hollywood-esque moment. <laughs> it's like bringing the fight to the to Apple's own back garden. Um, what do you make of some of that, Ugo? Well, I think we were wondering why was California behind when we, you know, you would expect California to be leading on that. And so it's great to see that they're now coming on board. And it's very iconic and symbolic that it's that debate is coming all the way to where Google, Apple and all the others are based. And we'll, we'll have to see. It's interesting. We learned that California actually has better laws compared to everywhere else in the US and it comes to repair. So there's already laws from the mid 80s demanding that manufacturers uh, provide both information and parts for repairs for seven years after a product goes to market. And certainly there's plenty of products that don't have that available. So it'll be interesting to see if now this approach will lead to more lawsuits in that direction. And maybe that will keep increasing the profile of the right to repair movement across the whole country. But there, I mean, Apple really does have to answer this question. So we understand that Apple wants to make money off of repairs. And in and of itself, that's not a negative thing. But if they want to stop everybody else from repairing, then there are huge economic and environmental consequences of that. And so they've been fighting this legislation state by state. They've been playing kind of whack-a-mole. You know, yeah. it's like, go to Nebraska, stop the farmers <laughs> from hacking their tractors and repairing iPhones. You know, go to New York, go to all these states that have been introducing it. And now it's finally there and, for them. And, and again, they claim, and they've been quite open, uh, Vice President of Environment, uh, Lisa Jackson, has been quite openly admitting that they prefer durability to user repairability of a product and so it would be wonderful if they could back these statements with openly stating how much of the repair economy they are helping by making the devices the way they are and by preventing people from being able to repair them with independent repairs across so you're the saying US. that they should model exactly yeah. at scale what the impacts of their decisions on durability versus repairability, uh, the impact of them, the environmental yeah. impact. If they can do the work on the supply chain in the other direction, why can't they model the environmental impact of the decisions that they're and the anti-DIY repair exactly. decisions they're making? If they're so certain that they're doing a favor to the planet and people uh, this way, well, then share, us, share with us why, based on what kind of economic and business modeling 
it would be well and not only i'd like to see the environmental impacts also modeled well, <laughs> it's quite a topic. Um, we'll, we'll be talking again about smartphones and some of the work that can be done uh, to make them smarter uh, next month. Um, uh, next week, we'll have a podcast about um, the Afro Tech Fest and Afrofuturism on, on, on the Restart Radio, if you'll join us again at 1.30. Um, if you need help repairing something and you're in London... Uh, anything with a battery or a plug, you can join the Hackney Fixers at their Hackney Restart Party on Sunday um, at Stamford Hill Library from 1 p.m. Yeah. yeah. And um, as always, you've been listening to Restart Radio. Um, you can find more about the Restart Project on our website, therestartproject.org, or find us on Twitter or Facebook. And thank you to OptoNoise and Cassini Sound for the music, which was made with lasers, spinning plastic discs, and discard electronics. Until next week. Thank you. Thank you.